Good morning, everybody. Thank you so much for choosing to share your Sunday with us uh, here at Elam Christian Centre Manurewa. If you're visiting us for the very first time, wow, it's the flowers thing. That was the thing. Okay, but um, this morning uh, we're starting a new sermon series uh, called Little Big Life. You know, oftentimes, as Pastor Steve mentioned, uh, we look for the extravagant things in our walk with the Lord, and we want the miraculous. We want the big supernatural stuff when really sometimes the little things are also really important, like prayer, reading the Word of God, fasting, and uh, joining the community and the fellowship of believers. And so this morning, we're starting with the Word of God. And so let's go to God's Word this morning. Father, we thank you for this time. Uh, Lord, I pray that you would bless the reading and the preaching, the teaching, and the hearing of your Word this morning. And God, may it be to the glory of your name. We honor you, Lord, and we thank you for your presence here in this place. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Hebrews 4, verse 11 to 13, here's what it says. Let us, therefore, make every effort to enter that rest so that no one will perish by following their example of disobedience. For the word of God is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. Nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him to whom we must give account. God bless the reading of his word this morning. There are many passages and verses within scripture that speak about the importance of God's word. And I would like to share a message that's pulled directly from this text this morning. Uh, and so I would like to share about what scripture is and what it does. What scripture is and what it does. First and foremost, the Word of God is living and active. The Word of God is alive and active. The Word of God, the Bible, is not just a collection of tales or stories that have no value to us today. The Bible is not dead. The Bible is not inactive. The Bible is not just mere words on pieces of paper. The Bible is alive and active. The Bible talks about how God created the world with His Word. He said, let there be light, and there was light. God said, let there be space between the waters, and there was. God said, let the waters flow to one place so that land would appear, and it did. God said, let light appear in the sky, separating the night from day, and it did. God created the world with his word. That means there was activity involved when God spoke. That means creativity abounds when God speaks his word, that means God's word involves motion and movement. But not only that, God's word gives life. And so the same word that at creation set the elements of the cosmos to their appointed tasks, the same word that is still holding this universe together, the same word that still governs all of creation towards God's desired end is the same word that is at work today. It's the same word that has the ability to transform and affect change in people today. It's the same word that is alive today. 1 Peter 1, 24, 25 says, All people are like grass and all their glory is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of the Lord endures forever. And this is the word that was preached to you. Generations will come and generations will go, but the word of God will endure forever. It lives forever. Many people have criticized the word of God, but the word of God still stands. 
Many have died, but the word of God still remains. Man's work is forgotten, but the word still changes lives through the power of Holy Spirit. The word of God is alive, but it's also active. It means it's doing something. It's effective. It's full of ability. It's full of power. It's accomplishing its purpose. Isaiah 55, 10 to 11 says, As the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return to it without watering the earth and making it bud and flourish so that it yields seed for the sower and bread for the eater, so is my word that goes out from my mouth. It will not return to me empty, but will accomplish what I desire and achieve the purpose for which I sent it. Some things can be alive and yet at the same time be dormant. But the Word of God is both alive and active. The Word of God convinces, it convicts, it comforts. It will accomplish that which it's been sent out to do. And the Word of God is not just alive, it's active. And this is the present and ever-continuing condition of the Word of God. It is never dead. It is never without authority. It is never anything less or anything other than the Word of God. It is ever worthy of the name Word of God. You know, in the original language of the Bible, our text this morning is actually read, alive is the Word of God. The word order, even in the Greek language, gives us the emphasis of the living character of God's Word. Acts 7.38 tells us that when Moses received the law of God on Mount Sinai, he received the living words of God. And then again, 1 Peter 1.23 declares, For you had been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable seed through the living and enduring word of God. You see, the words of mere men are dead words. They may live years, they may live centuries, they may live millenniums in some form, but they will perish when the present world is no more. But the word of God will live forever. The word of God, the only supernatural book, is alive forevermore, just as the living word of God, Jesus, is alive forever. Turn to the person next to you and say, the word is alive and active. Amen. Yeah. Number two, the Word of God is sharper than the sharpest sword. The Word of God is sharper than any two-edged sword in the world. It cuts both ways and it is supernaturally precise. It cuts right through outward appearances and exposes the inward reality of every man. It has a supernatural quality and ability to be able to do that. The Word of God excels any human device or method in doing the work that it does. And so the revelation of God given to us through His Word is edge all over. No blunt side to it. It's razor sharp. Every chapter is razor sharp. Every verse is razor sharp. Every word is razor sharp. There is not a dull verse in all of the Bible. There's not a blunt chapter in all of the Bible. And because it's two-edged, it cuts both ways. It'll comfort the afflicted and afflict the comfortable. It'll tear down and it will build up. It'll convict and convert. It has both good news and bad news. Good news and bad news. It, it both saves and it chastises. It heals and hardens. It makes alive and it puts to death. But more than that, the Word of God will touch everyone and anyone. It'll touch you and it'll touch the preacher too. Yeah, 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 yeah. 
Don't think that just because we preach and teach from the platform that the Word of God, that we're exempt from the Word of God touching us. There have been moments where I've stood here and preached messages that have absolutely cut me to the core. But that is the Word of God for you. It is no respecter of persons. It'll touch all who come into contact with it. And so the Word of God is alive and active. It is sharper than any two-edged sword. So the second part is what the Word of God does according to the Scripture Number one, it pierces. The Bible says that the word of God penetrates even to the dividing of soul and spirit, bone and marrow. The point of the text is not an analysis of human nature, but that God's word searches the heart so deeply that it resembles a a sharp sword that divides what might seem almost indivisible, whether soul or spirit, joint or marrow. The word of God can reach into the most inner recesses of of our being. The word of God is able to make a division and clear distinction between outward appearance and inward reality. You know, in 1 Samuel 16, God sent prophet Samuel to the house of a man by the name of Jesse. He was supposed to anoint the new king, the next king of Israel. And so Samuel gets there and he sees Jesse's older son and he's like, yeah, this is definitely the guy who's gonna be the king. And then the Lord speaks to him and says, do not look at his appearance or at his physical stature because I have refused him, I've rejected him for the Lord does not see as man sees. For man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. The man that God had chosen to be the next king of Israel was actually the youngest son of of Jesse, David. This was the one that God said was a man after God's own heart. Hebrews 4.12 tells us that what is true of the living God is also true of the living word of God. Man looks at the outward appearance, but God's word penetrates right through to the heart. The word of God probes, it searches, it questions, it gets right to the heart of the issue, and that's good news for us, yeah? Because it means that the Word of God will pierce right through the thickest facade. The Word of God will pierce right through the hardest heart and make it soft. The Word of God will pierce right through pride and make it humble. The Word of God will pierce right through a perverse spirit and make it meek and obedient. The Word of God will pierce right through a spirit of performance and bring it to rest. The Word of God will penetrate and pierce even to the dividing of soul and spirit, bone and marrow. Secondly, the Word of God discerns. It discerns. Some Bible translations use the word judge, but this word judge or discern is the Greek word kritikos. This is where we get our English word uh, critic from. Now, when we think of uh, a, someone as a critic, we have two things in mind. First, on one hand, we, we say that a person who is a critic is probably someone who is like a naysayer, who has no good thing to say, who has opinions, negative opinions about everyone and everything. And then on the other hand, we also have a critic who is a professional critic For example, they provide feedback uh, in terms of the music and the arts and film. Regardless of what, which critic we think of, both of these people have one thing in common. For the naysayer and the professional critic, the common thing is opinion. One doesn't like this, one doesn't like that, the other one doesn't like this, it doesn't like that. The standard for both critics is subjective and not objective. And when it comes to the Word of God, The meaning of the word discern or judge in the original language of the Bible is far different than that. It is far deeper than just subjective criticism on a human level. In the original language, the word discern or judge speaks of the fact that the word of God is fit for use in making a judgment. In other words, the word of God is the objective standard of judgment. 
You see, we're dealing with matters of spiritual life and death. And so because of that, it's not a matter of my opinion or your opinion or someone else's opinion. It's a matter of God's absolute truth revealed in His living and active Word. And so the significance of the original language of our text is that the Word of God judges and discerns man's feelings. The Word of God judges and discerns man's purposes and motives. The Word of God judges and discerns the thoughts and attitudes of a man's heart. But the question is, why judge and discern the heart? What's the big deal with the heart? And Jesus spoke of the heart of man in this way. Mark 7, 20 to 23, what comes out of a person is what defiles him. For it is from within, out of a person's heart, that evil thoughts come, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, greed, malice, deceit, lewdness, envy, slander, arrogance, and folly. All these evils come from inside and defile a person. Man, I'm glad to know that the Word of God is able to judge and discern my heart. I mean, because if there is every possibility that that's the kind of stuff that'll come out of my heart, then I'm going to need something greater than just my opinion or my feelings or my emotions. I'm going to need something absolute, something real, something truthful and objective to inspect every thought, every motive, every idea sitting inside my heart. Jeremiah 17, 8 declares that the heart of man is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? Who can understand it? Who can perceive and see and find out and discern what is within the heart of man? You need to know today that the Word of God judges and discerns the thoughts and the attitudes of our heart. You know, as we look at this chapter four, I want, you, I want to encourage you to go away and read the entire chapter. But as you, looked at this, as you look at this chapter four of our text this morning, the author begins the chapter by speaking about rest. And the author goes on reminding the audience about God having rested after he worked. The author goes on to say that this rest is available to them and it means that they too can enter his rest. And the author then reminds the audience about how some of the people of Israel came so close to entering the rest, but they didn't and they failed to do so. And it was all because of their disobedience. The author encourages the audience of Hebrews and is saying, you've got every opportunity to enter into that rest today. And so today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts because that rest is available to you. Here's what I wanna encourage you with this morning. Church, you either believe that God's word is true or you do not. Either God's word is real and absolutely true to you or it is not. And that will ultimately determine whether you go on living a life of rest or a life of restlessness. You weren't created to go on living life like your internal world feels like a storm 24-7. You weren't created to live a life that's constantly swept up by the current of all that's happening in the world. You weren't created to live a life that is driven by every emergency and family drama that comes into your life. You weren't created to live a life that leaves you stressed out and worn out and absolutely deflated. You were created to live a life of rest. And I'm not talking about the kind of rest where you lay down and have a good old nap and asleep. I'm not talking about seizing from movement. Biblical rest is all about resting and abiding in God. It means to be refueled, recharged, refreshed by God himself. And I think it's so interesting that the author of Hebrews takes the time 
to talk about entering into God's rest because right after that incredible spiel about rest, the author then says, now let's make every effort to enter into the rest so that we don't perish by following the example of the people of Israel. And then suddenly he says, the word of God is alive and active, sharper than any two-edged sword. The term sword there that the author is using is referred to the word of God, and it's a military term. It's as if the author of the text is saying, let's make every effort to enter into that rest, and here's how we're gonna do it, bam, the word of God. You see, church, to live your life divorced from the word of God, to live a life that is so far removed from the word of God, to live a life that is so outside of the word of God is to live a life full of restlessness. The people of Israel never entered into rest because they refused to obey God's word. And wherever there's an obedience problem, you can surely find a believing problem. Church available to you today, is the rest that only God can give, but it requires intentionality on our part to be able to participate in God's rest. And so these are a couple of application points that I wanna leave with you this morning if Rani can join me on keys. The first point is this, draw the sword. Draw the sword. Too many people are living the Christian life with the sword, the word of God, tucked away in its sheath. When a soldier goes into battle, they don't go into battle fighting with their sword in the sheath. The, the soldier goes into battle drawing the sword and then wielding the sword. It's both an offensive and defensive weapon that the soldier can use to protect themselves and to battle. In much the same way, God's word is your sword, both offensive and defensive, making you wise not only in the world around you, but in the world within you. It's time that we get serious about getting into the Word of God. The world is becoming more and more creative with its ideologies and its philosophies and ideas. It's too risky to go in your faith without the Word of God. Don't rely on your gut feeling. Don't rely on your emotions. Don't rely on your positive thinking to be able to keep you firm in your faith. Draw the sword. Use the Word of God. Whenever a thought enters into your mind, draw the sword, measure it up against the Word of God. Whenever you're being introduced to new teaching and new ideologies, draw the sword, measure it against the Word of God. Whenever someone is trying to give you a prophetic word, draw the sword, measure it up against the Word of God. Whenever someone is trying to give you advice and give you extravagant encouragement, draw the sword, measure it up against the Word of God. 2 Timothy 3, 16 to 17 says, all scripture, as God breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, training in righteousness so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Church, the word of God is inspired by God. It'll teach, it'll rebuke, it'll correct, and it'll train you and equip you. So don't be afraid to draw the sword. Take it out, read it, meditate on it, memorize it, Call it to memory. And if it doesn't make no sense to you, read it again. And if you can't quite figure it out, read it again. And if you struggle to understand it, read it again and read it again and read it and read it and read it again until the Word of God reads you. Secondly and finally, put down the sword substitutes. Put down the sword substitutes. Let me ask you today, 
Where in your life have you allowed plastic blades and blunt swords to take the place of the alive and active and two-edged sword of God's Word? Anything that is not God's Word is nothing but plastic and blunt. It is not going to do nothing for you but bring destruction. Where in your life have you chosen to put down the sword of God's Word and then replace it with the blunt blade of addiction? You've replaced it with the plastic blade of money. You've replaced it with the plastic blade of fame, the plastic blade of alcohol. Let me encourage you today. The grass will wither, the flowers will fall, but the word of God will endure forever. The car will fade away. The money will fade away. Addiction will only have you on a high for a little bit. Alcohol will only numb the pain for a little bit. But none of these things will remain. Every single one of them will fade away one day. But the word of God the Word of God will endure forever. If you want to lead a Christian life that flows from rest, refreshed, refueled, recharged in God, then you need to put down every other substitute in your life and pick up God's Word. You know, after speaking about rest, after talking about the sword, the author of Hebrews then says, nothing in all of creation is hidden from God's sight, not even our thoughts, secret thoughts. Everything is uncovered and laid before God, before the eyes of Him to whom we must give account. Just as God's Word graciously reveals God to man, it also makes man accountable before God as judge. And when God reveals Himself to us, we in turn then realize that we all, just like Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden when they sinned, we realize that we too are naked and exposed to the eyes of Him to whom we must give an account. The Word of God strips us bare before our own eyes and before the eyes of God because it exposes God's ineffable character. Verse 13 says, nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of Him to whom we must give account. As we read God's Word, we become more and more aware of our human condition. As we read God's Word, we become more and more aware of how messed up we are. As we read God's Word, we become more and more aware of how sinful we are. As we read God's Word, we become more and more aware of how broken we are. Actually, we become more and more aware of how much we need a Savior. Yeah. 